0: I am willing to wager 20,000 pounds that I will make a tour of the world in 80 days or less. You accept? I accept. Um, I accept. Train leaves for Dover
1: this evening. Good evening, gentlemen.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to 80 days an exploration podcast brought to you by three history and geography nerds in an internet power balloon This podcast is dedicated to discussing little known countries, territories, settlements and cities from around the world My name is Luke Kelly, I'm broadcasting from Hong Kong and joining me today are
2: Joe Byrne broadcasting from Bern, Switzerland And Mark Boyle from Weybridge, Surrey in the UK
0: And today we'll be talking about Liberia, a small nation on the western coast of Africa. Founded by freed American and Caribbean slaves, Liberia is Africa's oldest republic and takes its name from the Latin phrase for land of the free. Unfortunately, the country is best known for a long and bloody civil war that took place in the 1990s and more recently for the Ebola epidemic of 2014. Really looking forward to it. The lush, rainforested country is just over 700 kilometers or 430 miles north of the equator and is bordered by Sierra Leone to its west, Guinea to the north, and the Ivory Coast to its east. Today, the country is home to around 4.5 million inhabitants, although most are Africans rather than the descendants of freed slaves. It maintains A strong ties to America and even has a flag that strongly resembles the flag of the US, although it only has one star and 11 stripes. Mark, do you want to walk us through the early days of Liberia?
1: Sure. Okay, so unusually for uh, a lot of the countries we profiled, very, very little about the uh, early history of Liberia, only going to about maybe 700 years ago. Part of that seems to be that there, there wasn't really much human settlement in the area, which is unusual considering uh, humans came from Africa originally, you'd expect it to be well settled. But most of the settlements that did occur in the last 700 years came about due to external factors pushing uh, human traffic towards the, the area. Things like uh, increased desertification around the Sahara areas, also uh, collapses of local empires. Uh, There was a Mali empire, there was a Sudanic empire. Both of those collapsed in those 700 years and just pushed... uh, general human traffic towards the area. But in terms of a, an ancient history, there, there really isn't one. And the makeup of Liberia's population today is somewhat attests to this, that there's a lot of different ethnic groups and tribes. I've seen numbers of 16, 18, even in the, the mid 20s for the, the number of tribes and groups that there are. Just also a word about the research that I tried to do for this. I, I have looked at other uh, uh, ancient uh, uh, civilizations in the past and tried to go a similar route with how I researched this, uh, looking at the uh, National Museum. Unfortunately, and we'll talk a lot about this later on, the Liberian National Museum was basically blown up during the Civil War and 5,000 items were looted, leaving less than 100 large items. Uh, they, basically, they basically... You're really
2: setting the, the tone so. for where we're going here, Mark.
1: Uh, yeah, no, this is going to be a
0: fun ride, I can tell already.
1: It's it's not the it's not the happiest story. And from
2: these humble beginnings, it's going to end well. Yeah, yeah only ways
0: up. I, I mean, I did I did, okay. I did
2: a, a little bit of reading around the sort of which tribe arrived when kind of territory. But as we found with other African countries we've looked at before, Europeans get there, no one is writing anything down. So we're kind of going off oral histories, histories by neighbouring kingdoms and empires, and sort of European observations. So the details are shaky until reasonably recently. Um, but as you said, Mark, you kind of had these groups of people, waves of people coming in at different times uh, since about 1300. There's some legends about kind of bushmen and, and such living there in further history, but it's hard to say whether any of that's true. Um, mm. It may just be legends carried from other regions with with people who moved there. But definitely um, since about 1300, you had the Gola tribe living there. The Mel tribe entered the west of the country from nearby areas, and they were followed by lots of the Kwa-speaking people, uh, including the Kron tribe and the Kru tribes, which uh, will prove important in the more recent history. There was expansion of people who spoke Mende languages into Sierra Leone, which encouraged southward migration of of Kru people as well. And a lot of them would have arrived by sea and settled in the southeastern corner of Liberia those people brought with them cotton spinning, weaving, rice agriculture and iron smelting. So we're kind of dealing with reasonably uh, recent technologies um, that made it a kind of um, an area as modern as anywhere else in the 1300s. In 1461, Pedro de Sintra, a Portuguese explorer, called it the Grain Coast. So he was exploring the region the Portuguese were trading in around there. And the Malagreta pepper, or the grain of paradise, was the biggest export from this region. Um, it was a really important um, spice in Europe at the time. So it became known as grain coast or the pepper coast in European languages. And the Vi and the crew tribes learnt European languages because they were seafarers, and they would help the Europeans sail around the area and would be the middlemen with trade in the interior. So there was a, a trading relationship between Europeans and the natives. At this point, then the Sudanic Empire started collapsing and that shifted um, Mandingo people and Mande-speaking people into the area as they fled the instability. And this is when we get the tribes like the Mano and the Gio and the Vai, all of whom, again, will become important later. And that brings us up to reasonably recently, Ulfri Dapper, a Dutch explorer. Mm, Nice name. It is a good name. I'd say he was very well-dressed. In around the 1600s, he kind of noted noted that the societies that were operating in this region were quite sophisticated and had a high degree of um, organisation and political stability kind of modelled on the neighbouring empires. But they never really developed into big kingdoms or empires like uh, other ones in the region. And that was only really starting to happen just before colonisation happens. So, in the early 1800s, you've got this big dispute between the Mandingo Confederation and the Gola Confederation over who gets to control the trade routes to sell ivory, gold, grain, um, and indeed slaves to the Europeans. Mm. Um, so, the Kwa and the Gola would never be enslaved, but they would capture slaves or, or buy slaves in the interior of the country, bring them to the coast, and sell them to the Europeans and as as we get into the early 1800s there was a real dispute between the gola and the mandingo as to prominence with the gola really coming out on top because they controlled the secret societies of initiation for boys and girls so the poro and the sande which we might talk about later when we're talking about religion they would initiate boys and girls into being men and women uh, and had all these secret rituals that happened out in the bush and the Gola had managed to get control of, of that, where the Mandingos, being Muslims, were less keen on that sort of carry on. Joe,
1: just to ask can you tell us anything about the, the rituals? Like, rituals yeah, what out in kind the of bushes of with are kids are sounds, sounds really dicey. Yeah,
2: oh, oh, okay. Um, and by all accounts, they haven't changed that much to this date. Uh, the rituals are all a bit hard to get details about because obviously they're secret. Um, but it would generally involve going out into the into the bush and there would be permanent m- members of the the society would be like priests or, or or some kind of similar uh title and they would teach the adolescents in their place in society uh with, with girls is involved um uh female genital mutilation oh jesus uh, and still does to this day Uh, It involves kind of training in like household crafts, like sewing and wool dyeing, and those aren't
1: those aren't in the same curriculum. They they
2: are in in the the, in the Sande society, where the Poro society for boys seems a lot more. We've already
0: hit female genital mutilation
1: and home ec. Christ, yeah, it only Um, gets
0: better from here.
2: It does only get better from here. So these societies control have great political and religious importance, and. Unusually, the Sande Society for Women, the 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 women wear a, a ritual wooden mask, which is very unusual for women to do in in African traditional groups. So it which inhabits uh, which is inhabited by a, a spirit, but I w- won't claim to be an expert on on the uh, anthropology <laughs> of of the stuff. Needless to say, that they're important, secret, and a bit weird, and um, possibly would have led to the goal of taking over Liberia as a as a whole, except that. Um, well, stuff outside their control across an ocean happened.
0: So we know, Joe, that uh, the state of Liberia was founded by American colonists. And I have a quote here from the U.S. State Department website saying that it was motivated by domestic politics of slavery and race in the U.S., as well as by U.S. foreign policy interests. Do you want to expand on that a little bit?
2: you got to remember this is a, a very turbulent century for the United States of America. They, they've just come out of their War of Independence and inspired by the ideas of liberty and and freedom, a lot of slaveholding Americans had liberated their slaves at the end of the War of Independence, particularly if they'd fought for them. Because they had to. Slavery will do that. Um, But also, in the northern United States, a lot of states were abolishing slavery and deciding it wasn't economically necessary. People were obviously, thankfully, some people were uncomfortable with the idea of owning other humans, and they were kind of becoming more enlightened in their view to that and also in the south a lot of slaves were becoming free through being being liberated in in the wills of their masters and stuff so it was becoming a problem a political problem that you had lots of free black people in america which was upsetting the balance of society because while many people were becoming opposed to slavery they were still racists by and large. <laughs>
0: so they didn't want free... A lot of people didn't want free black people just wandering around the US. They didn't know what... You to can do. take our slaves, but
1: you'll never take our races. They, they
2: didn't know what to do with free black people. They were sort of... Well, obviously you can't own another human being, but I'm damned if he's living in my town... You know, it was, no, there was also
1: working for me or I, I think there was also a daughter, fear that you know, there's a fear that the, the example of having uh, free black people around in society would create some kind of slave revolt. In yes, it was where, where there were still large. it would give slaves
2: notions that maybe they didn't have yeah. to be slaves. And there was another possibility, and maybe they might want that, where if you have white man as master, black man as slave, and that's exclusively the relationship, then... That's
1: worked out pretty well so far. Yeah. We're into these guys.
2: So the uh, Society for the Colonization of Free People of Colour of America, more commonly known as the American Colonization Society, was set up to solve this problem by a mixture of um, abolitionists, slaveholders who wanted to do away with this, this problem and uh, good old-fashioned racists who didn't think black and white could coexist in one country, so let's send them back to Africa, where they'll obviously fit in. Um, They were following the example of a guy called Paul Cuffey, who in 1815 had resettled 38 African-Americans in Sierra Leone at his own expense. Cuffey was uh, was an African-American Quaker who was a free man, and a successful businessman and, uh, I think, maritime kind of entrepreneur. And he decided that maybe the Back to Africa solution w- would be good for him because, obviously, he'd seen firsthand how fitting in was working in, uh, in the
1: uh I need to step out of this podcast for a second to change all my business cards to say maritime entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> please, please bear with me. Those
2: days are gone. Those days are gone. Um, and he... He would have led a, a bigger movement, only he died suddenly uh, two years after that expedition.
0: But his ideas didn't.
2: His ideas did not die. Um, but it's important just to point out that, that this was copying something the British were doing in settling Sierra Leone with the the black poor of London and with people who had escaped the American War of Independence but were loyal to Britain. I
1: think also the British Empire had uh, abolished slavery like a significant period of time before uh, this this even happened i think it was the early 1800s or even late yeah, d- very late 1700s or so
2: definitely in and around this time and more importantly both them and america had started to abolish the slave trade see even ah, while america yes. had had, a, had slaves they didn't want any more and they wanted to stop the transatlantic slave trade so um you know progress i suppose interesting to point out that the the american colonization society some of the founding members like they were a, a star spangled caste um Including
1: A super team would you say Joe? They were, they were oh, somewhat we of a, a, super a super
2: team, team. Every, every podcast needs a super team So we, we have James Monroe and Andrew Jackson Both of whom would later be presidents of the United States Bushrod Washington Who was a judge mm, and nephew nice. of, of George uh, And I think heir of George as well Including his, his slaves uh, Which is great um, and also Francis Scott Key The um, composer of the American National Anthem Star Spangled Banner So these were the guys There was about 12 people Ran America this time From what I can tell And they were all at that meeting
0: And Monroe, uh, Joe Like the, the present day capital We should mention Is named after him right?
2: Yeah yeah they named it after him Because he, he gave them money So like The yeah. US Congress gave $100,000 To the ACS To have an expedition To resettle black people in Africa uh, that's about the same percentage of the US budget as is currently spent on NASA. So this was a big big outlay. They were really really on board with the idea of um of exporting their uh, black citizens or sorry, citizens is the wrong word. Their um yeah. their Three people, twides. the people uh, who live there the, who they didn't want. The
1: nomenclature is tough on yeah. this one. We're, yes. we're 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 trying hard um, here
2: guys. So in 1820, late 1820, the US funded Elizabeth, uh, the ship left New York with 88 black people and three white people who were obviously in charge because you couldn't trust mm. these, these African-Americans to like, set up their own colony. That'd be crazy.
0: That would be crazy.
2: Where would they even start? And again, some of these African-Americans were third and fourth generation freedmen. Some of them were, were you know, one eighth African in heritage. Um, some of them were living essentially as white people, except that occasionally someone would look at your skin tone and tell you you couldn't have a job. So,
1: Oh, my good Lord.
2: There, there's no question that these weren't civilized people. You know, these, these were educated people. These were, you know, they would have been citizens of any other country. It's just that we were dealing with 1800s America. They arrive in Sierra Leone on Cherbo Island, where most, like a lot of the people died of yellow fever and malaria, Which is a a recurring theme in our podcast. Misery
1: tick? Yeah. uh, So
2: I think all of the white people and a third of the the, the black people died of malaria before they even got to setting up a colony. In 1822, with the help of Naval Lieutenant Robert Stockton, uh, who rescued them. Hello,
1: I'm Robert Stockton. uh,
2: An an American, an American, I have to point out.
1: Hello, I'm Robert Stockton. He was
2: born on Stockton Street. (laughs) In in <laughs> the son of Senator Stockton
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know oh.
1: <laughs> his mother also was a stockton yeah um
2: good guys and he he bought well uh how do I phrase this yeah. he gave some guys some money and well and grain and gunpowder and like liquor. For some land around Cape Mesurado from the day ambassador chiefs, but like he almost certainly like held a gun to the head of King Peter, one of the kings, and like said, put an X beside your name there, King Peter, and we'll take the land. So it it was a bit of an unedifying, um, you know, thing, but they they got their little colony, and this is what became known as Monrovia, and was the start of Liberia as things went on. Uh, other states Had little little mini versions Of the ACS So like you had Mississippi in Africa Set up um, mm. By the Mississippi Colonisation Society There was um, The Republic of Maryland Was set up mm. by some People from Baltimore And uh, you know these were all little Independent cities along the coast And they started exerting their influence Weirdly the natives Weren't keen I wonder why. Yeah. Um, and tragically, yet somewhat predictably, the what became known as Americo Liberians, the African Americans who were now colonists, just set up plantations and enslaved the local black people.
0: So former slaves uh, yep. are sent to Africa from the US
2: and know, then enslaved to have liberty Africans. in the land of liberty. And they like I suggested this country because I thought you know It's
1: because you're a dick Joe but I
2: thought You know a con- Oh look it's, a, it's like a country Colonised by, by Black people Instead of white people Maybe it works out better Turns out it's just it as odd. bad Just people No 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 you no know. no It's, it's worse. way worse Joe, Joe
1: worse. It's way Definitely worse, worse. Just, just So much worse
2: Like colonisation Just doesn't seem to be A great move If you like the people yeah. Who live there first
1: um, and if anybody,
0: if anybody is listening right now and is is hoping this is going to be an uplifting episode or that it's going to get better,
2: no, it, it is not. No, it's not. Um, it is not. Th- this is kind of the high point, actually. Um, they just didn't. Indicate- the high
0: point where uh, have former slaves enslave Africans. That's that's the high point. That's I, I, that's, I think this, that's where this we're going uh, downwards th- from.
1: The 1950s are are, are okay. As long as you're really wealthy. Okay. But yeah, that's about, so, that's so, about it.
2: So, listener, you can look forward to the 1950s. Um, <laughs> you, we, we got 100... It comes the 1960s. We, we, Jesus. we got 100 years. So, <sighs> about 20,000 Americos arrived in, in uh, Liberia over the next 40 years. And this would have been resettled African Americans. There were um, people from the Caribbean, like ex-slaves from the Caribbean were also brought here for some reason that I, I haven't been able to figure out. And because they had banned the slave trade, when the British or Americans captured a slave ship, they would repatriate, well, that's the wrong word, but they would repatriate the people on the, the, they would send the people, the enslaved enslaved people to Liberia and say, there you go, you're free and you're back in Africa, to which they might point out, but I'm from somewhere completely different. They go, yes, but you know, everyone's black here, so... You'll like, fit right in. You'll fit right in. And they didn't. There was no integration between the America-Liberians, who made about 5% of the population, and everyone else. Almost none at all. So in 1867, basically the American Colonisation Society was going bankrupt, couldn't really run the place anymore, and the British and the French weren't going to pay import duties to like, a company that wasn't a country. So in 1867, Liberia drew up a constitution with the help of a where was he from? A Harvard law professor, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Based on the U.S. Constitution, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And became a republic, the first African republic. So they, they had been governed by Thomas Buchanan, who was a relative of President Buchanan, with Deputy Governor Joseph J. Roberts, who was an African-American man,
1: Oh is this JJ, Roberts? JJ Roberts I've heard of this guy. And I've heard of JJ When
2: JJ. when Buchanan died, Roberts became governor and decided to just go full full independence. And I think they had a referendum on it, but a referendum of the 5% of the population who were American African.
1: Well, I think with, <laughs> Joe, maybe correct me, correct me if I'm wrong. I would think JJ Roberts was the first um the first uh, black head of Liberia and up until yeah, that yeah, point exactly. it had been it had been white heads and that also Part of the reason for that was because um, even on the American side, they could not deal with the idea that a black leader would come to their country. Yeah, they just couldn't get... And they, they, they just knew the Liberians would definitely be coming, The mind so boggled, sure like it was, it was, it was yeah. mad.
2: Uh, but I read somewhere a, a, a quote from some contemporary saying, "Sure, Roberts is barely black at all. You know, he, he could have been, he could have passed as a white man, you know, with a suntan. Uh, so... They they basically practice a thing called colorism in Liberia, where the lighter you were, the better you were. I think.
1: I think. Yeah, th- that's not the only place. That no, 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 no. It came that's, from that's, that's,
2: it came from the southern plantations. It was a kind of a worldview that came from America.
1: I think also the Caribbean. It was. Uh, it's relevant, and also, uh, the, and this is you know a bit of a, a, a side step, but it uh, also in uh, India. I would say mm. that there, there there's a view of that. Uh, that the lighter your skin, the you know, the higher caste you are likely to belong to. Yes, There's kind yeah. of a, an association there.
2: They were recognised by the British first as an independent republic, uh, as well as various German cities, Portugal, uh, Haiti. Actually, being uh, at this point, the first black republic. I think they'd had a revolution in the early eighteen hundreds, um, inspired by the French Revolution, They're like a slave revolt. And was now under control of of ex slaves, so it was quite keen to recognise uh, this other black republic. Um,
1: yeah, Haiti, another uh, another true denizen of democracy and general getting shit right.
2: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll come back to that some other time, I'm sure. But, but interestingly, Washington did not recognise this independent country, despite having created it, uh, because. It wasn't an American colony, it was a colony by some Americans, if you get me.
0: So it wasn't government sanctioned necessarily.
2: Exactly, it was set up by some independent citizens who happened to be American and they were really nervous about the idea of recognising a black country while slavery was still in force and the Civil War was just about coming up. It turns out Abraham Lincoln was a fan of Liberia initially, but kind of went off it. Um, and decided that maybe just emancipating the slaves and making them people would be better. Uh, which is why he's remembered fondly rather than kind of badly.
1: I went to uh, uh, Washington DC recently. I went to the to the Lincoln Memorial uh, and you know, everyone kind of knows the picture of like Lincoln sitting on the big seat. Mm. Uh, but to the left and to the right, on the left there's the Getty, Gettysburg Address, but on the right it's his uh, inauguration speech. And it basically says, in not so many words, that, we deserve this civil war, that's how bad slavery was, that we deserve the absolutely nightmarish levels of bloodshed that we're experiencing right now. It, it would be It, really, it will be really hard really to argue thing. with that, to be fair. Yeah, no, no, it, but it, it, it was, I, I was really surprised to see it. That's a pretty extreme view to put front and centre. Like,
2: th- thanks for voting for me, <laughs> yeah, you awful, kinda. awful people. Yeah. So the two parties that developed under the, the New Republic, and remember, again, the, the only citizens of this republic are the 5% of the population who have American ancestry. Everyone else is, is is not a citizen. They don't have a vote. They don't have an input. But you still had this kind of ethnic dispute between the Republican Party or the true Liberia Party, who were kind of mulattoes. There would have been lighter-skinned people who live in the cities. And the old Whig or true black man party, which um, would have been made up of darker-skinned farmers who would have been poorer. So... Um, already you've got racial tension within the minority. So you can only imagine how good it's going to get when the majority get a vote. Mm. And just to bring us up to the 20th century, we have the Republic of Maryland, which had been independent for a while, needed help fighting off invasions by the Gibo and Crewe people who didn't like these random Americans living in their territory. Crazy. Um, um, yeah. yeah, understandable. And in response, they joined Liberia and became Maryland County of modern-day Liberia. And basically, the American-Liberians dominated politics in the country for the following, like, 100 years or so.
0: Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us up, as you said, Joe, to the start of the 20th century. And Mm -hmm. I guess Liberia then, and the American-Liberians were quite good at forming... Trade relationships, I guess, with uh, particularly European powers and particularly Germany, is what is what I've found, and that did not work out for them over the course of the 20th century. We'll take a break and we'll be back just after this. That was uh, some music from a Liberian uh, Monrovian actually street musician called uh, We Say that you can find on YouTube. Pretty talented guy. So it's important to point out he was yeah, playing we, we, it like uh, an oil
2: can and a stick, which was an yeah.
0: oil can and a piece of bamboo. I yeah. think was was, uh, just... was what that was being plucked out on. Yeah, anyway,
2: it's
0: uh, pretty impressive. So uh, next we have World War One. And as I mentioned before the break, Liberia had established a pretty uh, strong trade relationship with a couple of European powers, but particularly Germany. And at the outbreak of World War One, then they're under pressure from America and the Allies to break ties with Germany, to expel German merchants and traders from Liberia, which they're understandably, as an impoverished country, very reluctant to do. Eventually, after I think it's the first five years of the, of World War One, I, I think under pressure from a, from the U.S., they decide to join the fray, declare war on Germany, seize German assets and expel German businesses and merchants.
2: So five, uh, five which, years into World War? Isn't that the, like the end of World War One? Uh They kind of go, oh, yeah, those guys who lost. Yeah, we're, we, we declare war on them.
0: Yeah. So they're traditionally a latecomer <laughs> to both of the World Wars. And this is largely because of their relationship with Germany. Yeah. Okay. So they kind of... Uh, they kind they of waited of these, till it
2: was over and then said, yeah, I'm with, I'm yeah. with the winner. Yeah. <laughs>
0: They're, they're 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 exactly they're they're one of these uh countries that sort of waits waits out the fight to see what way it's going to go and then uh then decides to sort of throw their hat in
2: remind me never to rely on liberia in a war yes
1: just 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 in case we sound maybe overly critical, just to acknowledge that our our own uh, uh mother country didn't fight in World War II at all sure sure at all. <laughs> yes. yeah, but we, we didn't
2: we didn't come in at the end and go, yeah, it was Nazis oh.
0: so Liberia didn't really take a much of an active part in the war necessarily, uh particularly World War one, but uh it did increase their declaration of war on Germany did increase their economic woes. Uh, There was a submarine blockade which was enforced around Liberia, which made trade in and out of the country more difficult, which further impoverished the country which wasn't in a great state to begin with, as we've already mentioned. After the war ends, the U.S. significantly declines the amount of aid that it's sending to Liberia. So now it's sort of expelled its biggest trading partner and also now doesn't get aid from the U.S. So. Uh, the economic situation just gets worse as time goes on. Woodrow Wilson at one point felt compelled to send aid to Liberia and proposes to the Senate, but was rejected.
2: I, I read somewhere that basically they feel like, and this is one of the most tragic sentences I've ever had to say, they missed out on the benefits of colonial infrastructure in- uh. investment by not being a colony of a European power. Yes. So during this era, France, Britain and Germany were building railways and canals and you know stuff to get munitions around in all well, their colonies to, in their and liberia colonies, yeah. had none of that because they were independent. They, they, they're
1: also uh, they're also putting in that infrastructure to siphon off all of the raw materials sure 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 you know that that was also part of it, it but like right? it's it's,
2: ne- it's never good when you're lamenting not having been colonized by yeah by someone it, yeah more caring
1: it's it's like like uh Worrying about how you didn't throw yourself under a car that you would you maybe would have gotten a nice uh, a nice supplement. insurance payout something
2: like But the um, like they did have natural resources. They did they were just waiting for someone to help help uh, help oh, extract Oh, that's where them. we're
0: going, Joe. Uh, so all right, nineteen twenty six. Then uh, with the country effectively on its knees economically, always a good bargaining position. Yes, exactly. Okay. The president of uh, Firestone, the the rubber company, U.S. Rubber Company, uh, was kind of sick of importing rubber from mainly british colonies and so having to negotiate with the with the british so uh, this guy harvey firestone
1: that was his name
0: he wants to I, that was his was, name that was his every name.
1: time i had seen firestone i assumed it was like uh, you know just a really ballsy name they'd come up with and I, it didn't sound very 1920s to me but it's so much better that it's the guy's name it is it is and <laughs> uh yeah that's that's another one to add to our list of
0: great names harvey from firestone. many many episodes RV Firestone. Yeah, at that time, the U.S. was consuming up to 70% of the world's rubber. And Firestone was like the the biggest rubber company, I think, in the U.S. at the time. So they wanted their own source of rubber. And they were looking at Liberia. A podcast that you turned me on to, Joe. Frontline from the P- PBS TV show. They have a great uh, episode on this Firestone and the Warlords or something along those lines. It's, it's yeah. It's very comprehensive about, about the history of the company and kind of their involvement in Liberia. And as we'll see... Well worth a listen. Uh, yeah, it is a very long, complex relationship. They decided to buy 220 square miles of uh, Liberian land at six cents an acre. Wow. Which, that, that, that seems good. Yeah, was a very, very raw deal. Yeah, very raw deal for the Liberians. But again, they didn't really have much room to negotiate. It was either this or sort of, you know, continue to wallow in economic stagnation. Uh, so Firestone would go on to be the Firestone Plantation effectively would go on to be one of the biggest employers in the country with over 8,000 workers at one point.
2: And um, and guess guess who ran the plantation? Was the plantation run by native guys or was it uh,
0: Oh, of course, yes. It, it was run by no, natives, no, right? Natives ran the plantation. No. White, Amer- white Americans. White
2: Americans. And white running X-Facts. a plantation?
0: Yes. <sighs> yes.
2: And who
1: worked on the plantation? Uh, but they're not slaves,
0: Joe. They're not That's slaves. That's just true. They, were, they paid. were paid. They
1: were paid. Not very much. A very slight f- flash forward. Firestone is still in Liberia, and there, a lot of the accounts say that yes, they are actually basically slaves, indentured workers, even today. So uh, just a little flash yes. forward there. But anyway, back b- back to back back to the twenties. Yeah. So
0: as part of the deal, Firestone loans uh, five million U.S. dollars to the country. Loans, not mm-hmm. gives. And uh, so the the country is basically desperate for this deal, so they sign it. Uh, and Firestone sets up the the plantation like imports expats and white Americans white British people to run this plantation and hires local workers to work harvesting the rubber they are paid very very little but as a very impoverished country uh, they're paid more than the average sort of Liberian you know on the street would have been in, in those days so they couldn't really complain because they were they were just glad to have a job. Just, just ask guess, me, uh,
1: I'm assuming the way that they were producing rubber was... Um... It was
2: it was ta- tapping,
1: tapping rubber trees. Yeah, tapping rubber trees, yeah.
0: Yeah, tapping rubber trees indeed, yeah.
2: Quite labour-intensive. Very
0: labour-intensive work, yes. Uh, and as we've already mentioned, it's an extremely hot and humid country, so I can't imagine it was uh, it was a lot of fun working in the Firestone Plantation. We're talking
2: it's sort of a rainforest-type climate, isn't it?
0: Effectively rainforest, yeah.
2: Plateau, country's mostly flat, a lot of rainfall, very hot.
0: Yep. so the conditions were fantastic for uh, the American workers. Like, they had sort of... Fishing trips, and they had a nine-hole golf course. A mere nine-hole. And they had like clubhouses and pools. L-
2: and listening to that podcast, the, the interviews with the former workers, I know they were talking about the eighties, but like them talking about their life on the on the compound, you know, it was like a it was like a holiday. And then the contrast. Exactly. to... A, it
0: sounded like sort of a almost a resort. And yeah, the contrast between them and the workers is is, is stark to say the least. Slight side note here: in 1927, there was an interesting election in Liberia. Mm. Which is recognized by the Guinness World Book of Records as the most fraudulent election reported in history.
2: <laughs>
1: Ta-da!
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, there's
2: there, there's a lot of competition for that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, there North is. Korea, like Hitler, like yep. flipping. Everyone's got corrupt elections, but like,
2: how corrupt are we talking, well Luke? Like, g- give oh, us, give is, us the. Uh, this is a peach. The details on the level.
0: This is a okay. peach. Um. Charles D.B. King, who uh, was eventually won the election, was clearly uh, extremely corrupt, uh, runs against this guy called Thomas Faulkner, who uh, was more of a sort of people's champion. I get the impression. Uh, But Charles D.B. King uh, won or received, sorry, 234,000 votes uh, to win the election. That sounds fine. There were only fifteen thousand registered voters in the entire country <laughs> at the time. I,
2: I I now see the problem.
0: Yes, so so about really popular is really popular. Two hundred and twenty thousand yeah. votes uh, just appeared mm. out of nowhere. Uh,
2: I, I would so, say to Mr. King, if you're yeah, going to stuff a ballot box, try and be a little bit realistic,
0: a little bit more subtle about it, maybe.
2: Did this is this is the President King who had to resign on the slavery thing? Is it?
0: Yeah. So this is actually what uh, this was actually sort of his downfall. Thomas Faulkner then decides to complain to the League of Nations about this ridiculous election and uh, the conditions, the conditions in Liberia at the time. He basically said like the government is recruiting and selling uh, contract laborers as slaves you know, there were plenty of examples, including Firestone in the country at the time, clear corruption in the government. And he sort of brings his case to the League of Nations, the you know, what we would know as a modern day U.N., who found that the government policy at the time was to, and I quote, suppress the native, prevent him from uh, realizing his powers and limitations and prevent him from asserting himself in any way whatsoever for the benefit of the dominant and colonizing race, although originally of the same African stock as themselves. So this is again the Americo-Liberians who were sort of taking power for themselves and just weren't really concerned with the rights of the native Africans uh, at the time. So as a result of that report, uh, Charles D.B. King resigns, forced labor practices are abolished. And in 1942, Liberia signs a defense pact with the U.S., uh, meaning that Liberia would su- supply rubber to the U.S. Army, which it desperately needed uh, due to Second World War, which had broken out in 1939, and the U.S. would then be allowed to move troops and goods through the country. But Liberia doesn't isn't officially it's a defense partner, but it it doesn't declare war on Germany at the time, so it still maintains merchant and I suppose diplomatic ties with uh, with Germany, but is very is leaning very heavily towards the U.S. And again, this is sort of a mirror of the First World War where they they clearly know which way the war is turning and they're trying to sort of ally themselves with the, the winning side but also trying not to you know piss off their their German yeah. business partners it's yeah, that's, that's fair
1: neutral on the US side yeah
0: yeah so I mean it's kind of understandable because they're trying to you know they're trying to maintain as much economic stability as they can because they have but, so little uh, they're, uh, they're
2: also...
1: economically to offer the world. So they're desperate to hold on. To exactly. did, did this
2: period give some of that infrastructural investment that they missed out on because of their uh, poor choice of colonizer?
0: Um, the US did invest a little bit in uh, in Liberia at the time. So it, it, it increases the infrastructure somewhat in the country, like uh, better roads, builds the country's first airport, I think, and just basically to protect the rubber supplies. And the economy is, has a slight boost at that time. Like there are sort the of US contractors and, um, you know, Influx of people into the country, U.S. arm U.S. soldiers uh, in the country, which you know obviously stimulates the economy somewhat. Again, it sort of ties themselves with the U.S. They uh, a lot of their military forces receive training from the U.S. Their arm supplies come from the U.S. Uh, and this is in nineteen forty-three. This is when uh, quite a famous figure in Liberia comes to prominence. It's William Tubman, Tubbs. which I know you have a. Yeah, you want to talk to, uh, talk about him, Mark? Uh, he was first elected president in 1943, and he's known now as the father of modern Liberia.
1: And, <laughs> that that was yeah. actually a pretty good thing by the time he was done with the country. But now, I mean, it's not so great. Uh, yeah. So
0: in 1944, he makes the decision to enter the Second World War on the on the side of the Allies. His priority was to better the lives of Liberians, and I think he he sort of had decided that the U.S. was the way, you know, who he wanted to ally himself with. It once again had a negative impact on the on the country overall in terms of trade. Uh, again, Germany had sort of rebuilt this relationship with Liberia at the time. And again, all the merchants and traders were uh, expelled from the country. German businesses were shut down. And all, a lot of the doctors in uh, yeah. Liberia at the time apparently were German, so they were also expelled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is yeah, good news. Just what you want in a war. Yeah, so Tubman throws in with the Allies again. The country is not really uh, affected directly by the war. It's more just in economic terms. I think there were a couple of skirmishes, maybe, but in terms of actual sort of casualties and you know serious combat, there wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot.
2: So what did? What did Tubman get up to then?
0: Uh, well, Tubman decided that uh, Liberia would adopt the U.S. dollar as its as its uh, currency, and at the time became one of the only one of only four countries in Africa to join the UN, which had been formed after uh, the League of Nations was abolished. Travels to the White House in 1944 and is the first African head of state to be received there. And yeah, Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit more about his policies then as, you know, as he moved
1: forward? Yeah, he he seems to have been like a really uh, dominant political figure. Uh, So he was uh, president of Liberia from uh, 1943, 44 to 1971 uh, when he eventually passed away. And from 1950 to 1960, there was a lot of uh, U.S. aid coming their way. If you look at the broader picture, this is uh, where the the Cold War starts becoming really serious. So the U.S. is uh, giving a lot of aid money out, trying to uh, create states that will be a bulwark against the spread of communism. And Liberia is, you know, perfectly suited to that. Uh, English speaking, uh, a lot of contact uh, between the different American and Liberian institutions. And this was already kind of Tubman's plan, was to cozy up to the West. And uh during the nineteen fifties to the nineteen sixties, Liberia is the second fastest growing economy in the world, with an average of eleven point five percent GDP growth, which is fantastic. And this is why I said earlier this is like about as good as it gets for Liberia. It should be
0: said though that it was kind of the only ways up from from the position that they were in, I suppose, before before the World Wars, like, they were, they were as, a, as I mentioned, kind of on their knees. So well, growth is, is, is good, but they were still sort of very economically underdeveloped. Yeah, right? yeah,
1: absolutely. And uh, some of the big things he did was to create Monrovia to be a free port. Uh, so to attract international trade going through there. And to this day, as a result of that decision, um, Liberia is a flag of convenience, is the term. If you ever see any, like, large cargo ships... Uh, often you'll see Panama on the back of them. And that just means that the ship is registered in Panama because there's a lot of uh, little perks that you get. Panama is the most common uh, flag of convenience in the world. It has the most uh, foreign ships registered to it. Liberia is the second. So uh, that that that's essentially why... At the same time, it's worth mentioning that uh, for all of his uh, uh, political nous and just two things, uh, his uh, the legend of the the forging of William Tubman, his father required all five kids to sleep on the floor as, inverted commas, beds were too soft and degrading for character development. So he kind of had this uh, character of being kind of stern, experienced, fatherly patrician uh, and also a very kind of... Uh, uh, populist politician Mm. inverted commas this is what he called himself the the convivial cannibal from the down coast hinterlands uh william tubman wow did he put that on his posters well he referred to himself as that yeah the convivial cannibal from the down coast hinterlands
2: as we're gonna see later that's not that unusual Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah but he brought
2: in the unification policy right where he tried to actually give indigenous people rights and stuff I don't know if it was I
1: I think I think originally Hmm. uh, he gave enfranchisement to all of the people of his grouping which was again the kind of uh, uh, American Africans Mm -hmm. who came originally so he kind of preserved the status quo uh, and had, I think, already been involved with the previous government. So he was an insider very much. Mm. But as you say, Joe, I think around 1963, there was enfranchisement for the rest of the population, uh, which included the natives. And and indigenous people. And, and women yeah. and indigenous people. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that brings up to about 1971 when he died, I think, uh, I think from prostate cancer. So in 1971, things are looking pretty good. They have the largest rubber industry in the world. They have the largest mercantile fleet in the world. Uh, They have the third largest iron ore export. And the U.S. has pumped about a billion dollars in investment into it. What could go wrong? he, He was followed by William Talbert. Talbert, again, similar insider, similar background. But Talbert didn't have the same clarity of vision when it came to the U.S., whereas Tubman was, you know, all America, all the time. Talbert was a little bit more, well, you know, maybe we do a little shopping around. Maybe we pick up the phone to uh, Moscow, see what they have to say. And was uh, he was more open to uh, seeking out uh, other partnerships. Didn't make him very popular with the Americans. No. Uh, now, in the late 70s, in 1979, there was uh, rice riots. Not race riots, uh, rice riots. Uh, it was the main crop in Liberia for for food. Um, There was a mix of panic and frustration as the price started going up. uh, And also people just weren't very happy with the government, partly because uh, uh, Talbert wasn't as successful as uh, uh, keeping dissent down as Tubman had been. Both had been quite authoritarian, uh, for sure. There's
2: there's also an angle where, I read this in one of the articles I was reading, um, where giving people political rights for the first time often makes them angrier than you might expect.
1: Oh, right. Uh, like almost like a backlash?
2: Yeah, because suddenly, finally you've got these people who've been disenfranchised for generations, Yeah, just about able to use that franchise. And some have argued that's what spelt doom for uh, Talbert, because you had all these young, enthusiastic, angry, enfranchised yeah. guys ready to go. For the first and time, I'd able imagine, to go uh, as well.
1: I'd imagine, you know, from the idealism of being enfranchised with the vote to then realise how shit dem- democracy actually is, that's that's going to make you pretty damn yeah. angry. It makes it makes me angry on a day-to-day basis, but, you know, I've, I've always had a vote, so I'm, I'm kind of used to being angry at this point. But uh, anyway, Talbert uh, basically loses control of the situation, partly through the corruption in his own government. Uh, he... he I think it was his Minister for the Economy or Minister of Food or something like this, who was themselves a rice farmer. Instead of uh, trying to address this, they raised the price on rice. Uh, The argument being that, well, if if rice is really expensive to buy, then people will just farm it for themselves and they'll have loads of food. So problem solved. Completely not, you know, actually acknowledging that they wanted to raise the price of rice because it would uh, be hugely beneficial for them. So... Uh, You have Rice riots uh, and Talbert losing control of the country, 1979. He's been there about 10 years uh, and in comes Samuel Doe. Samuel Doe, who is, uh, I think, a a former uh, military
2: man. He's a 28-year-old, just regular soldier. Just a regular guy. He was a
1: non-commissioned officer. That was it. And him and a group of other non-comm officers basically murdered uh, Talbert and 26 of his supporters and then I think a week later they marched the the cabinet 13 cabinet ministers out onto the beach In and front publicly of, like, executed them
2: shocked western media who were like what the hell is happening having been used yeah, to this was
1: this
0: was broadcast on television right or recorded for television at th- least.
2: Th- th- this was the end of the America-Liberian rule and America-Liberians addressed European they you know gone to America to study and basically had good relationships with European and American kind of media. Yeah. And so you have this coup led by an indigenous guy. who's from the Kran tribe, and he just takes the cabin out in the street and eviscerates them in front of the media, who are going, oh, "This is new. We're going a whole other direction here." <laughs> this guy has a
1: fresh new take on Liberian politics. Um, um, just also just to say that uh, so he he came in and he he he, he did this, um, but. He was also much more pro-U.S. than Talbert had been. Talbert was the one who was like thinking about cozying up to the Soviets, whereas uh, Doe came in and he was like, we're going back to U.S. all the time. Uh, And I think that helped with uh, some of the foreign aid coming in. Uh, Uh, There is is suggestion
2: that he was backed by some U.S.- elements at least after his coup allegedly
1: i mean if if you or i just walked into the government and decided to try to kill all 13 of them on the beach somebody probably would you know say hold on a second there jim uh so uh yeah he probably had some kind of uh, clandestine support and as much as uh, uh, talbert and tubman before him were you know quite authoritarian and anti-dissent he was crazily paranoid about being taken out by a coup, but which, you know, as, well, crazy is the wrong word because uh, he himself had gotten there because of a coup, and between 81 and 85, there were seven coup attempts. Seven! That's more than one a year. That's almost two a year trying to get him out of power. So he would end up... Uh, there, there would be a coup against him, and instead of just punishing the people who propagated the coup, he would punish them... And the tribe and ethnic grouping that they came from. So he was creating this uh, this whole grouping of opposition just by trying to k- kind of a bit ethnically cleanse certain tribal groupings around the country. And that's
0: definitely a way to get people to love you, you know.
2: Like, One of his former oh. ministers, Thomas Kriwankpa, was he was suspected of launching a coup, which he wasn't. He fled the country and then later came back with an army to actually launch a coup this time. Uh, he, he was he was killed and eaten um, this is like I, I was reading a wikipedia article about him and I just had to stop and go, what he, so the guys who killed him again ate him a little bit not, not
0: an unusual not an unusual it, it, this theme, is gonna uh, yeah, going yeah. forward I'm gonna lighten the, I'm gonna lighten the, lighten the tone here for just a second uh, before we you know dive into this whole 1990s 19 just, nightmare you know horror show yeah so uh this is a a song called Liberian Girl by somebody that you might recognize Michael Jackson uh and has an incredible video uh starring everyone um, let me just let me just prepare myself here Paula Abdul Whoopi Goldberg uh Quincy Jones Jackie Collins Rosanna Arquette uh Lou Diamond Phillips Uh, Olivia Newton-John, John John Travolta, Steven Spielberg, Debbie Gibson, Weird Al Yankovic, Bubbles and Jim, Suzanne (laughs) Somers, Lou Ferrigno, Don (laughs) King, David Copperfield, Richard Dreyfuss, Danny Glover, Olivia Hussey, Dan Aykroyd, and Steve Guttenberg. So... Uh, check that out on youtube it's a it's a kind of a bizarre video to be honest but uh that's that's michael jackson's liberian girl. it was
2: massively popular in liberia it so, was. uh yeah yes. it's a, it's let's a let's, let's hear it a with michael
1: Jackson. Liberian girls, you know that you came and you changed my world just like in the movies with two lovers in a scene that she says do you love me and he says, well, me. I love
0: you like me. All right. So, Joe, you want to you want to lead us into uh, the, the wonderful 1990s for Liberia?
2: Yes. Let, let's as quickly as possible uh, go through all the atrocities. So the guy who was... Oh, eat- you don't
0: want to spend lots of time on this? No, it's, no, uh, no. I, I'm happy to zip through it. It's such, it's such um, a nice topic to talk many, about. There are many,
2: many ways to learn about this, like the news. So the guy who was eaten before that beautiful song by Michael Jackson, he was from he was supported by the Gio and mano people of nimba county and they would help charles taylor invade the country and finally lead the coup that took doe out he was an american educated guy who had been in doe's government he had been a minister of some sort but a really corrupt sort
1: the sort of minister was insanely corrupt
2: He'd been accused by Doe of embezzling nearly a billion US dollars in, like, diamonds and money and stuff. So he fled to America. He was arrested in Massachusetts and was to be extradited. And then mysteriously and oddly escaped from a high-security prison. And then became... Along
1: with, and we were saying this earlier, yeah. like five other people, yeah. and all the other people were uh, were captured. And by Charles Taylor's again, he basically just walked out. There was a car with some people in it. They drove him along, and then there was another car, and he ended up in uh, and, ended up in Libya with Muammar Gaddafi.
2: And his story is that the CIA got him there because Doe was becoming a problem. He probably is telling the truth, but I, I wouldn't swear to it. Uh, this They said that in his in his war crimes tribunal in the Hague. So I, I don't know, would he lie under oath after all the other atrocities? Who, who knows? Um but with the backing of Libya and Guinea and Sierra Leone, I think he invades through Nimba province. It's very easy to get the support of the, the, the Gio and the Mano people because they've just been massacred by by President Doe. And his group the NPFL, the National Patriotic Front of Liberia. Is that right? Good job. Yeah, there's a lot of acronyms coming up, guys. They invade, they take over most of the country. But there is a splinter group led by Prince Johnson, who isn't a prince, he's just called Prince, um, called the INFPL, the Independent... NP- National NP- Patriotic in front, of front of Liberia. <laughs> We're getting kind of uh, Life of Brian here.
1: Uh, just just to say, uh, Charles Taylor's, like, the size of his force was in the low hundreds. He 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 took over Liberia with a couple of hundred dudes. This is not like some massive, well-structured uh, yeah. army. It was Charles Taylor and a bit of the, the how-to he had gathered from maybe a bit of CIA training, definitely a bit of Gaddafi training. Uh, and lots, and lots of child soldiers. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, think, I think it's probably worth saying that we're going to talk about a lot of acronyms, a lot of army groupings, a lot of individuals who headed their own armies. But really... All of these are just nonsense coalitions of children hopped up on heroin, cocaine, and with guns thrust into their hands. So, if if you you know the whole thing of child soldiers in Africa, this is, this is the reason why this is that a stereotype of conflict there. Uh, this and Sierra Leone, which are kind of uh, intermeshed conflicts.
2: And there, we have a clip here of Taylor describing his his motivations from. Uh I think this is featured in, a, in a, a really good vice documentary on liberia so we'll, we'll just play yeah,
0: that highly recommend it if yeah if if this podcast and uh the upcoming sort of material about the the civil wars in liberia are of interest to you or are not depressing enough then i'd highly recommend checking out this vice documentary on youtube this is a uh, taylor describing uh, his military philosophy.
2: What we seek to do
1: is to destroy these military dictatorships around Africa, and that's that Charles de Gaulle. If the civilians can throw out the army, wow, we are in trouble. Well, I love it. We will fight to the last man. I will get weapons from wherever I have to get it. If the Pentagon's got some, please give me some. So there you go.
2: Taylor takes over most of Liberia. His his, his comrade Prince Johnson takes over Monrovia. So. Taylor actually never gets to Monrovia. and um... uh, Just to
1: say, also, uh, their f- footage exists of uh, what happened to Doe. Uh, Prince, uh, Prince Johnson did take Monrovia, and uh, that itself is this mad story. So as well as the NPFL, the INPFL, you also have Ecomog, which is basically just uh, the coalition of deeply concerned West African states who see this madness happening in Liberia and are worried it's going to spread into their countries. So they send in a coalition of soldiers just to just to calm it down. To try and set up a
2: provisional government or an interim
1: government. Exactly. And um, what happened was Ecomog, I think, invited Doe. To be a part of some uh, uh, peace treaty or something like that. It, anyway, there was some appeal to Doe to let let's stop the fussing and the feud. And then Prince Johnson basically stormed in, uh, captured Doe, uh, tortured him, and it's all on video. So if you're if you're that way inclined, sick in the head, yeah, you can look it up. And by all accounts, they cut bits off him and they eat them. So we we just kind of dropped in that comment about cannibalism earlier it's it's a recurring theme it and we we had this debate amongst ourselves like it, it's that's almost the maddest thing you can think of and it it's so common in all of the accounts that we've read and seen and heard no one says oh you know People say that, but I don't know. No, there's like people, first person saying, yep, I did it. And there's this footage of people holding up human organs and saying, I eat this stuff. Yay. Like it's this, I don't think is really up for debate. They ate a lot of people. There was a lot of people eating going on Along in Liberia. with the murder
2: and the, the rape the and the child soldiers and the everything else.
1: All in Trogs one terrible and- pot. There's a guy yeah. called,
2: um, his, his war name was General But Naked. Um, who used to go into battle naked and in order to strike fear into the hearts of his uh, opponents. He was fighting for President Doe at this point, so he was an enemy of Charles Taylor. And he's an absolutely mind-boggling, fascinating character because he's still around. His name's Joshua yeah. um He was originally a Kran religious leader, like a, a priest of some sort, doing a bit yeah. of human sacrifice he got involved in the war as a mercenary. Um, had an army of child soldiers. He led into battle wearing just boots and a Kalashnikov um, because he thought he had magical powers if he didn't wear any armor. Like we're going, it's it's. Just... Yeah,
0: he explains in the in the vice documentary that we that we mentioned he's interviewed in, at length in that in that documentary, and he explains that he felt that uh, if he went into battle naked, that uh, the bullets wouldn't be able to touch him. For some bizarre it's, reason it's uh, But they assume... also
2: before every battle Would sacrifice a child yeah. and drink its blood Like this is just bonkers stuff By his own yes. estimate at the Peace and Reconciliation yeah. uh, Commission He, he said he, he's responsible for 20,000 deaths But he has now converted to Christianity And become a pastor Yeah, And he, he goes around preaching
1: Pastor butt naked
0: Yeah we can insert another clip here of him uh, He's quite a forceful personality You might get that from this clip
1: the
2: whole world already know me as General Naked or Killer, a rapist. But my children will know me as a man who stands for the truth. Am I talking to somebody? Before the future, according to morals, those reasons do not hold. I'm a murderer. I'm a blooded-handed person. The world is changing. The mistakes of our fathers cause of harm to the mistake that we make to our
1: children that is if we fail them stand to your feet yeah so also just to say general but naked he is also the inspiration for general but fucking naked from the book of mormon uh, i saw that play about a about a year ago and i had no idea that there, there was anything based on real life in that that character from the is pretty much exactly physical, real it's based on him yeah yeah. And Except this guy's way more tall. You
2: terrifying. also have General Bin Laden, General Mosquito, General um, Mosquito Spray. Mosquito Spray. Enemy. Yeah, they mentioned so that. The, these nom de were kind of common among the people doing crazy things. I think um, because they
0: didn't want to be uh, sort of identified. They didn't want to be identified for names. the horrible things they did. Yes, so they were doing yeah. terrible things. So they didn't want to be identified after the war.
1: I also have a couple of uh, good names. I, I found uh, a guy who was just called Sex. A guy called Frisky Rebel, uh, a guy called Domination, and my favourite was Walking Fucking.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow, I don't want to fight that guy. So j- during this period, there was no clear government. Ecomog had a temporary government which involved like a some politician and a bishop were kind of the temporary government. Um, Taylor they, Taylor actually controlled most of the country. Prince Johnson controlled Monrovia. And
1: we, we, we've also, Joe, sorry, forgotten. We've forgotten about two other groups. There's Ulimo. Uh, I don't have what the acronym means, but Ulimo uh, were a group of former soldiers. They were Butt Naked's um, group. Were they Butt Naked's yeah. group. He was, Ulimo. he was Ulimo. And then Ulimo split into Ulimo K and Ulimo yep. J, which were based on tribal, a tribal distinction between the two groups. So you've got like several Ulimo groups, uh, Charles Taylor's group, uh, Prince Johnson's group, and then there's, you know, also technically a government there with an army. Uh, but the truth is, it's really just a bloodbath. Um,
2: but the the, the documentary we, we've mentioned about Firestone goes into the detail about how they essentially recognised Taylor's de facto rulership of the country and came to a financial arrangement with him in order to reopen their plantations and start exporting rubber again. So they have been criticised heavily for essentially paying taxes to a warlord. But from their point of view, and it, I I won't speak to it at length because there's a whole hour-long documentary about it if you're interested. Really interesting stuff, but some people accepted Taylor was the, the leader. And in 1997, as part of a peace agreement, there was an election which Charles Taylor did yeah, win. Yeah, and
1: it seems to have been, like he genuinely won. Uh, and it, a lot of it just seems to have been who, who do you think the warlord who's the baddest warlord in town who's the warlord who's gonna shut all this war down and beat all the other warlords and bring any semblance of order to Liberia. The slogan That's the only, was yeah, he killed on. my
2: ma, he killed my pa, still I will vote for him
1: 75% of the vote Charles in a free
2: Taylor. and fair election
1: uh yeah
2: this place is messed up <sighs>
1: Okay, so it's the end of the First Civil War. Uh, Charles Taylor has been installed. Technically, there's no civil war for like a good 20 minutes uh, between the two civil wars. Um, You've got child soldiers everywhere. Uh, Blood diamonds are a huge part of this. Uh, Destabilized neighbors. 117th of the population is dead. Hundreds of thousands. I, I, I've, I've seen, I've seen numbers of two hundred thousand to six hundred thousand dead in the first civil war. I don't, I don't know which to believe. But the, the really terrifying thing.
0: And that's just the first one. Like
1: there, there's no, there's no air force or anything like this here. They're not using these massive high tech bombs. This is just hand to hand. They're shooting each other and macheting each other. That's, that's how you get to the number of two hundred thousand dead. Like that, just to explain the level of butchery. Like that is the only word I can come up with to talk about this is human butchery. Uh, So anyway, (laughs) oh geez. Anyway, moving on to the second civil war. You now have a group called uh, LURD who are basically kind of former military, again, similar to Ulimo, uh, Liberians United for Reconciliation and Democracy. Sure. Uh, And and they're backed by local neighbor uh, Guinea. And you have this kind of uh, three-way nightmare between Sierra Leone, uh, where Charles Taylor is sending soldiers, uh, and then Sierra Leone are then sending soldiers back into Liberia to fight, and then Guinea is also a part of that as well. So it's this like three-way civil-local war, uh, and it's, it's you know, a lot more the same, more butchery, child soldiers. Um they would initiate them by getting them to hack off the limb of somebody that they held at gunpoint. And then they would get them to cut off their lips and their tongue and get them to eat it. Um, and
2: then the, the, the women's mass action for peace became an important movement in the early 2000s, which was just women saying, for the love of God, stop.
1: Yeah, they dressed in white and they uh, they basically spoke up for the first time. There's a quotation, it's on Wikipedia. In the past, we were silent, but after being killed, raped, dehumanized, and infected with diseases, and watching our children and families destroyed, war has taught us that the future lies in saying no to violence and yes to peace. We will not relent until peace prevails. By all accounts, they were a huge part of this, uh, uh, this change uh, of pulling Liberia out of this quagmire of you know, multi-directional civil war. Uh, there's a documentary about it called uh, Pray the Devil Back to Hell. Uh, around 2003. So from ninety seven to t- 2003, you've got another six years of civil war, another couple of hundred thousand dead, you know. <sighs> uh, and at this point, people are basically telling Taylor, look, you got to get out. Uh, you got to, you- you've got to leave. Uh, and that includes the United States. Um, George Bush actually told him to leave the country twice. And eventually, with a little bit of pressure from some uh, US uh, naval power off the coast of Monrovia, Charles Taylor... Uh, legged it for Nigeria. Well, he lived
2: happily enough for a while and then The Hague picks him up for war crimes in Sierra Leone, not even the stuff he did in his own country. Yeah. But he, he, he's been convicted of war crimes in the next door country and is now in prison in the UK somewhere? County Durham.
1: Yeah, he's in Durham, England. Right, well. Uh, in the uh, I actually, I remember this trial. I, I was looking at it last night and mm. I, I didn't realise that I had actually been watching it and so on that this was Charles Taylor but uh, Naomi Campbell testified Uh, he turned up one night uh, he sent some of his heavies up to a room in a hotel with a bag full of diamonds and similarly he used diamonds as a sort of his general currency he would uh, get drugs from off the coast of Monrovia shipped in by Nigerians pay them in diamonds and use those drugs for his his small boy units it was uh,
2: yeah so so after Taylor leaves the scene one of the members of the Women's Mass Action for Peace, uh, Ellen, Sir- Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, becomes the president. She's the first female head of state in Africa, and she set up a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And
0: still in power today, I think, right?
2: She's still in power today. She's in her second yeah. term. Uh, she's come under some criticism, because every African leader does. There's probably been some corruption here and there. Who knows? But she Mouse, isn't leading a civil war. and She doesn't have a militia. So it's all it's all up, except yeah
1: uh, Ebola. Ebola Ebola 2014 out of uh, the three countries where Ebola was the most significant Liberia was the worst hit in terms of fatalities and that was largely down to corruption uh, because people could just bribe the health officials to look the other way over 10,000 cases more than 4,800 dead and there's actually still people dying in Ebola sorry in Liberia from Ebola today uh, this uh, Center for Disease Control still, even though it's been announced that it's no longer an emergency, there's still people who have, have health problems. It's still a big problem. Yeah, there's still people dying from Ebola. I, Liberia,
2: I think yeah, rather yeah, so, than you know. dwelling too long on it, I mean, it's been in the news the last couple of years incessantly. Ebola is bad. Lots of people died. But
1: more in Liberia but than anywhere because else. Because of the lack
2: of communication infrastructure, getting the message out not to catch Ebola, not to wash people's bodies and not to touch anyone, was done through the radio and through pop artists, writing songs to spread the word so uh
1: yeah there, there was a lot of there was a lot of music based around ebola because you know it was it was the only news story that happened in uh that that was that you would be talking about if, if you were there yep. there was also a lot of conspiracy theories locally uh, I, I would say you know education isn't great the internet uh isn't doesn't really exist in Liberia. i think joe you were saying there was like 78 internet connections and in-
2: yeah yeah broad- broadband 78 broadband connections in 2012 okay. or something
1: only about forty-five percent of people have a mobile phone. Yeah. Liberia's fourth lowest GDP per capita. Uh, huge amounts of uh, AIDS, malaria kills. One the of the only places poorer
2: than it is Nauru, which we've established is awful. But I think we can all agree this is this is worse. This is worse,
0: yeah. Averaging income of about four hundred U.S. dollars per person uh, per year, which is is just horrifying. Like this is a this is a really country that's still. You know, even though it's, you know, the the worst period was the 1990s, I think we can all agree. Like, it's still in dire straits. Like, I I heard from a
2: a guy who'd served in a peacekeeping outfit there a couple of years ago that just Monrovia, everything looks like a copy of something from America, but awful and shot with bullets. And, you know, everyone's poor. Um, There's sewage in the streets.
1: And anything that we've seen from from Monrovia, uh, like, it, it, it's not even just the worst version of it. it. It, to me, pushes the boundary of what I thought the worst was. Yeah. So the Ebola crisis happened. But as an offshoot of that, because, you know, education was so poor, corruption was so bad. There was a black market for people's blood who had survived Ebola. Oh, so people were injecting oh. each other with Ebola-laced blood. In a
2: place where AIDS is rampant and HIV is... Where they've rampant. already got
1: AIDS and Ebola... And all these things. Oh, my God. All right. It's
0: relentless. All right, gentlemen. We're already way over time. And I think we just want to get out of this country. Uh, oh. so, yeah. so, yeah. Apologies uh, to anybody who we've brought down with this episode. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to end the, the, the trail of misery here, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: They ate people. Yeah.
2: Come on. If, if you want to chuckle... Look at the county flags. That that's the funnest thing about Liberia. The flags of each county are hilarious. So maybe just like this do, naked do, do, guy do that. sacrificing a child. No, it's like pictures of trees and Blood diamonds. It looks
0: it looks like it was done in Microsoft so Paint. So that
2: that that's that's a light note too. Uh, okay. So, you know. Uh,
0: yeah. If this is uh, your first time listening to us, not all of our episodes are just depressing. So we would encourage you to check them out. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash 80 days podcast. And on Twitter at 80 days podcast. And we also have a website, 80 days Joe, where can people find you on the internet?
2: They can find me on time where burn is spelled like the Irish surname with a Y. And Mark,
1: uh, I am at, uh, at Mark Boyle, 86 on Twitter. And I've got a blog called toner of leak uh which is on wordpress
0: and you can find me on my website loopjkelly.com uh thanks for listening and we'll see you guys in the next
1: one. Hey, it's news. I say something to hibola hibola it's don't touch your friend no touch you no don't touch your friend look at you don't touch your friend no touch Oh, are eating something yeah. dangerous. G-B-O-L-A. Ebola, Ebola, yeah. Ebola, Ebola. Into-